chapter 21. As we journey through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, Luke 21, we're in the middle of the Olivet Discourse, spoken in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke's version, as we will see today, is a little bit different because he is telling the Jews something that they need to know before the events of Matthew and Mark and that version. And we left off at verse 8. We, we breakneck speed last week. We did the one verse of do not be deceived. And so Jesus says, take heed that you do not be deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. And then I want to read verse 24. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times, do you see that within us, of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And then we'll sandwich the rest of that today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again. Father, for just meeting together. And we thank you for those serving around our building. And Lord, that this message does go over the internet and over the radio. And so, Lord, that as we look into these end times, Lord, we look into these red letters, you love and still love the nation of Israel. And so, Lord, we just ask that you'd spend time with us once again. In Jesus' name, amen. So in verse 8, as so we looked at being deceived last week, and Jesus is specifically talking about religious deception. And their question was in verse 7, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? The, the removal of the temple. And so Jesus says, Take heed that you do not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. Notice, the time has drawn near, therefore do not go after them. When Jesus tells us to not be deceived, it is an encouragement for us, and we must take that to heart, especially when it comes to the study of eschatology. That's a fancy word, and time, study. The only sure way to keep our balance in a deceptive world, something I did not go into last week, is to stay close to the Word of God. You see, if we read a book or we see a movie and it's not specifically based on God's Word, then we can get off, especially on this topic of end times. Because, listen, end times sells more books than anything else. Now, I know what you're thinking. I don't really want to feel that way about the church. The church, inside of it, there is a wing that all it is about is about making money and selling you a product. <laughs> Sorry, that's the truth. And so we need to be careful about that. It is foolish and harmful to become so obsessed with Bible prophecy that we start to neglect the practical things of the Christian life. And if Jesus had to add another blessed art thou, it would have been blessed or the balanced. And, that, and again, that really speaks of who Calvary Chapel is. Blessed are the balance. We believe in a balanced approach. Now, during the 70s and 80s, yes, Calvary Chapel was one of the few out there that was talking about prophecy, that was focusing its attention 
and the church upon the coming of Messiah. We still do. But we need to remember, and this is critical because I have a lot of people who all they do is read end times prophecy. Listen, how about you read on prayer? If you read all of the old dead guys and their lives and what they went through in their ministry, pretty much all of them at the end of their life said, I wish I would have focused more on prayer. Pretty much all of them said that. Now, it's important for us to study prophecy. We're going to do that. It's important for us to have a balanced view of it. But I caution everybody to not focus so much upon it that you just get myopic and you're not focused on the good news of Jesus Christ and bringing people into the kingdom of God. How about refining yourself as well? See, if you're focused on the end times and not on yourself, then you're not doing anything about your issues. Amen? So we're going to have a balanced view of the end times. Now, most of what we're going to go through in this section, this all of a discourse, will be explained in further detail when we get to the book of Revelation, and that is next for us scheduled. All end times prophecy, and that's why you got a handout, you need to know this. All end times prophecy does not revolve around the church. It revolves around Israel. And here's the problem. And I don't even want to get into this issue about how there are those inside of the church that don't support Israel and believe that the church has uh, superseded Israel. And now all the prophecies are focused on Israel or on the church rather than Israel. Guys, we're grafted in. It's not about us. We're going to go to Romans and read that today as well, that God is not done with Israel. There is a time of the Gentiles. We're going to see that. That's why we read verse 24. There is a season of the Gentiles. We are in that season. But all end times prophecy revolves around Israel. And if you understand that, then then the end times, the prophecy, Revelation, 1 Thessalonians, Daniel chapter 9 starts to become clear for you. And you don't have to go... um, What? So let's dive into this. The first thing that Jesus says before we get into end times prophecy is that there will be a lot of deception about end times prophecy. (laughs) Wasn't that simple? Aren't you glad that he says that? And he says that in all Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Do not be deceived. Why? Because it's an easy topic to be deceived. It's an easy topic for someone to have a little bit of Bible prophecy or to take this verse out of context. This is being written to Jews who are sitting there listening to it. This isn't for the Gentiles. There are a lot of things in here as the church it doesn't even apply to. Now, when Paul writes his end times prophecy and he gives us a discord on that, it does apply to us and we're actually going to see that in a minute. And I want to turn first then today to John chapter 14. Because end times prophecy, yes, everything revolves around Israel. But it also revolves around John chapter 14. Verse (laughs) 1. Now Paul will pick up this very phrase in a minute. We'll read it. 
Let not, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now in my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you, that receive you also uh, for our purposes is the removal of the church, to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So when we're talking about end times and we're talking about Israel and we're talking about the church, we're going to see that, and again, I'm not going to do a timeline today. When we get to Revelation, I'm going to give you a nice little handout that's going to give you Revelation and one little uh, nice handy-dandy handout. And in there, it's going to talk about the church age and then the rapture of the church and then the tribulation period. But for our purposes, the church, all we care about is this. It's Jesus coming again for us. He will go on to deal with Israel. In fact, let's do that. Let's turn to Romans chapter 11. And we're going to do this again later on in the message. But I want you to see this because apparently a lot of Christians or some denominations have taken this chapter out of their Bible. I don't know why. I don't know why. All I know is that Israel has always been hated from Abraham to today. And we're going to talk about that in depth. So if you don't like Israel, you might want to go to sleep. I say then, has God cast away his people uh, right underneath us or above it, Israel? Certainly not. For I also am an Israeli, an Israelite the seed of Abraham, and of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, jump down to verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should all fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, that's Israel, to provoke them the jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. God allowed the Gentiles to be grafted in to bring jealousy to the Jews. Like, why, why is God blessing them and not us? Well, what? You guys rejected Jesus. You rejected your Messiah. He says, down in verse 25, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Listen, there are a lot of people dealing with Israel or with the church or with end times that think that they are wise in their own opinion. And Paul said, be careful. You can be deceived by that. He says that blindness in part has come to Israel, and here's this phrase that we'll get to later on, until the fullness of the Gentiles have what? Come in. So God is dealing with the church, with the Gentile nation, but soon and very soon he will deal with the nation of Israel again. Let's turn to 2 Thessalonians, and yes, we will get to Luke today. Now, we had just done this several months ago, 2 Thessalonians, verse 1 of chapter 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's pretty clear, isn't it? The coming, that means 
the rapture of the church, taking the bride away. And the gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if it was from us, and though the day of Christ had come. Paul addressing the Thessalonians, who he had been only there for three weeks, taught them biblical prophecy, and he tells them very clear in verse 2, and us, don't be soon shaken in mind and trouble. Listen, what we're going to read today, the things of the world, all the things that are transpiring, no believer should freak out. There's no, there's no need to even fear. <laughs> there's a lot of people that are afraid right now in the church. There's no reason. Why? Because our deliverer is coming. He's going to tell us today that not one hair on your head, some of you a lot less, but he knows, <laughs> will be harmed in that. That means he, if he loves Israel the way that he loves Israel, will he not love his bride? Or will he beat up on his bride before he takes his bride home? Well, he says not to be soon shaken in mind or in trouble. Don't let the things of the end times or, notice with the either by spirit, someone talking about the end times or by word or letter or by a book. Don't let somebody's book shake you. If you read a book, it should point you to Jesus and glorify that he is coming back. Not to freak you out and to go into a bunker, but to proclaim Christ even more. Why? He says, as though the day of Christ has come. And I love what he says in verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin, that's the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of perdition. So when Paul tells us in verse 3, hey, let no one deceive you because, listen, you as the church will not see the Antichrist. Why? Because there must be a falling away. And that word does mean apostasy, but it also means depart. So it means the departing comes first. The church will be gone. There's no reason why any believer should be trying to figure out who Antichrist is. Because it doesn't apply to us at all. Too much attention has been applied to Satan and Antichrist. Oh, have a, have a healthy dose of, of respect for Satan because you don't need him on... You don't need him to be focused on you and send even more of his minions upon you. But note with me, he says, listen, we're going to depart and then the man of sin will be revealed. And all of this will get played out as we go through the book of Revelation. So let's go back now to Luke 21, and we'll park here for a little bit. So before Jesus gets going in end times prophecy, he needs the church, that's us, he needs Israel to know there are plenty of people that are going to be deceived. There are plenty of people that are going to stand up and say, I am the Messiah, and he says, don't follow them. 
He says, but when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first. But the end, notice, will not come immediately. Listen, since Jesus, A.D. 32, to today, as we will see, we've had lots of wars and lots of rumors of wars. We've had lots of earthquakes. We've had lots of pestilence. We've had lots of famines. What Jesus will tell us, as the day grows closer, he tells us in Matthew, it will be like birth pains. Now, ladies, when you are with child, you don't give birth right away, do you not? It is a slow process to which you get to that nine months. You get bigger and bigger and great with child, and then you'll have a Braxton Hicks every once in a while. That's a false contraction. Ladies, can I get a Braxton Hicks woohoo? All right. Hate them. <laughs> but we're having a kid right now. No, not really. How many times have we thought, Jesus is coming? Mm, not really. Amen. Even in crazy 2020. I would say to you right now, I'm blown away that we're not standing in heaven. Anybody else? Having the marriage supper of lamb, little, you know, ribs in my hand, crown, white robe, new name upon my forehead. What's going on? Braxton Hicks. Painful. Now, ladies, as that gets closer and closer, right, the pains get stronger and they get closer together. Well, if you look at 2000, uh, AD 32 to 2020, we can see that. And especially as we'll see, because this is going to apply to Israel in a minute. We're going to lay it all out for you, and you, you won't be as confused as you are right now. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be what? Terrified. Now, pause. He's not talking to us. Who is he talking to? He's talking to Jews. And what Luke does here is he addresses what will go on with them between A.D. 32 to 70 A.D. when when Jerusalem is destroyed, and then after that portion of 70 A.D. until um, the church is established and is bigger as it is than the Jewish nation. Track with me. Verse 10. And he said, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilence. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. Now, again, this is not in the tribulation yet. This is all before, and this is between 32 and 70 A.D., He's telling them that these things are going to take place. Uh, In 70 AD, we're going to see that the Romans come in and destroy. But before then, I mean, there was great signs in heavens. Uh, There was a comet that looked like a sword, Josephus tells us, for an entire year above Israel and above the Roman world. That's kind of pretty frightful. And then in 79, Pompeii, is completely destroyed by Mount Vesuvius. Great earthquakes are going on at this time as well. So he's telling them, hey, all these things are going to happen, even great signs from heaven, but before all these things, they will lay hands on you and persecute you and deliver you up to the synagogues and the prisons, and you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. 
Now, he does something here different in that he is talking to the Jews, but he's also talking to Jews who become Christians. <laughs> you got to stay with me because it can be confusing because Jewish writing isn't chronological. Even Luke, who is writing this, who is a Gentile, writes in the style of a Jewish writer. Now, before all of these things, they will lay hands on you. So, between 32 AD and 70 AD, there is great persecution of Jewish Christians. I say that in the beginning because we know that they are just Christians. Note with me what he says in verse 12. Because after 70 AD, something changes. Do you see that word synagogue? After 70 AD, there are no more synagogues in Israel. They're all destroyed. And we're going to see there are no more Jews. They're all taken away captive, and they're dispersed throughout all the land. uh, I'm sorry, throughout all of the world. And so what Jesus is telling the church and the Jews is that Listen, all of those things in verse 19, um, I'm sorry, 10, 11, 12, and then he says, you will be brought before kings and rulers. Paul the apostle was brought before many people. Stephen gave the opportunity, was given the opportunity to tell the Sanhedrin of the things of Christ. He was able to proclaim that. Again, Paul talked to Nero, Caesar Nero, and after he talked to him the first time, Tradition tells us that Nero lost his mind after that. You talk to Paul, you're going to lose your mind if you don't accept Christ. Would we not agree that Paul communicated everything about Jesus Christ to Nero in such a clear way? He says, you will be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. And it will turn out for you as an occasion for a testimony, a witness. Therefore, settle in your hearts. Do not meditate on uh, beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth of wisdom, which all of your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. So as they were brought to in front of the synagogues in, in the persecution of that time, they were able to speak the things of the Lord without worrying about that, notice, so that no one could contradict or resist that. Now, that applies even to us today, but it specifically is applying to them. Notice, verse 16, you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. The early church was betrayed by their family members. And they turn them in. He says, you will be hated, verse 17, by all for my name's sake. But I love this. But not a hair of your head will be lost. And by your patience possesses your soul. Remember the things Jesus described here are not signs of his soon return because They have been going on for centuries. However, as the coming of the Lord draws nigh, these things, again, like birth pains, intensify and multiply. So, let's see what he talks about then far as Israel and their destruction. Verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its destruction is nigh or near. 
Now, the reason why this is different than Matthew's Olivet Discourse is that Matthew, for the most part, is, is primarily talking about the tribulation period. Now, in that time, Jesus, and, and I encourage you to read Matthew ch- uh, chapter 24, uh, and you can see the differences, but you'll see that in Matthew uh, 24, there is no army surrounding Jerusalem. And so this is speaking of Titus Vespasia in 70 AD, who brings, I think it's three or four Roman legions. And listen, when the Romans bring more than one legion, you're toast. Over a million Jews were killed. 900,000 were displaced. When the Romans are done, there are no Jews left in Jerusalem. None. That, and for the most part, the Jews are completely gone until around the 1800s, and we'll get to that history in a minute. So when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that its destruction is near. So what Jesus is telling not only the church but the Jews, okay, because there are Jews listening to this that are not Christians. Would we agree? He's on the Olivet Discourse. He's talking. There are always a mixed multitude around And this is what Jesus says. And by the way, this is a little free. This is Jeopardy, if they ever do a lot of Bible stuff. Tradition tells us no Christians die when the Romans come in because they saw it and they heard it and they left. Exactly what Jesus said. So that's interesting to me. That's what tradition tells us. And again, we have to be careful with tradition. But he says, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by its armies, and so this is going to be the Romans, pause. There's so much things going around in my head, i got to get them all out. The Jews at this time, remember, taught that their Messiah was going to kick out who? The Romans, or the oppressing force, right? But this is what they taught. They taught that when... (laughs) A nation, or specifically when, if the Romans did come and surround, that would that Messiah would show up that very day and obliterate all of the armies of the oppressors. So in their mind, now Jesus knows this. In their mind, anytime we see an army surrounding Jerusalem as a siege, we don't have to do anything. We just have to wait for our deliverer, and he'll take them out. That's not biblical. It's not anywhere. That's just what they taught in the day. Isn't it funny how we have extra biblical things that happen and filter in, even inside of the church? But that's what they believe. So what does Jesus say? Is Jesus loving the Jews? Absolutely. He's one of them. So what he's telling them is this. What you are teaching right now is not going to happen. Something else is going to happen. So don't follow the rabbis of your day. Listen to me. (laughs) But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by its armies, then know that its desolation is near or its destruction. Now let those who are in Judea, that means not in the capital of Jerusalem, and aren't we thankful that our president moved the capital to Jerusalem? Amen. I was, li- I was listening to somebody give a list of the accomplishments of President Trump, and li- honestly, all of them kind of faded in my mind until he said, well, 
Remember, he moved, moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. He has been the most pro-Israel president of all time. I am, now when I say I'm frightful, you know it doesn't mean that I'm afraid. But I am frightful of what will happen if we go back to what we had during Obama's administration pertaining to Israel. That will be frightening. Or it'll just be prophetic. He says, let those who are not in the capital flee to the mountains. So when you hear about it, now remember, this is 70 AD. This isn't now. This isn't when we leave as the church. This isn't the tribulation. This is in 70 AD. Flee to the mountains and let those who are in the midst of her, that's Jerusalem, leave right now. Now listen, that's exactly what the church did. They got out of Dodge as quickly as they possibly could. Why? Because Jesus told them to get out of there. And let not those who were in the country who were doing business in a different town come back in to get something. (laughs) Don't even come back to Jerusalem. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Remember, they had said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. The Jews said that while Jesus was standing in front of Pilate. And they said, he said, what shall I do with the one you call the king of the Jews? And they said, crucify him. By the way, I love that scene in Passion of the Christ. The the face, the actor doing Pilate, his face looks one of... bewilderment. He doesn't understand. If he's your king, why do you want to kill him? That's another message. These are the days of vengeance. Listen, nobody ever wants to be around for the day of God's vengeance, ever. That's just helpful tip number 365, I think. He says, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon the people. Now, it's easy to think that this is the same as Matthew 24, and it is to a a point it is, but these are two separate events. Can I help you today? This is not the rapture yet. This is not the tribulation yet. This is before, because listen, how do we get to the nation of Israel becoming a nation? Well, they have to be spread out throughout all the nations. Yeah? So that's where we are. Please don't look at this and Matthew 24 in the same light. They are two different events going on. Matthew was talking about the tribulation period and when Antichrist comes in and he tells the Jews, hey, flee, go there. If it's winter time, just forget your coat, just get out of there. Here, it's when the Romans walk into town, you want to get out of town. He says, notice, it is a time of great distress. Why is it? Because the temple will be destroyed and a million Jews will lose their life. And over 900,000 will be displaced. Please note with me, verse 24. This is where we end, but we're not ending. We're going to talk about Israel. And they will fall by the edge of the sword, speaking of the Romans, and will be led away captive, notice, into all nations. 
Now, in Matthew 24, it doesn't talk about all nations. There is no dispersion of the Jews because it's the end. So, where did I go? Uh, 24. And be laid away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until, uh, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, the time of the Gentiles, I want you to take note of this, started not here. Anybody know where it started with or who it started with? Ooh, you'll get a mint. Started a long time ago. 606 B.C. That's how long it's been since the Jews have been ruling in their capital. 606 B.C., a guy named Nebuchadnezzar walked in. And from Nebuchadnezzar, 606 B.C., until, as we will see, May 14, 1948, there is no Jewish nation. And what I mean by Jewish nation is that a nation that is ruling itself. In fact, the Jews, when they're talking about sovereignty, it is the ability of capital punishment. (laughs) Seems kind of weird, huh? But they could not use their form of capital punishment. Anybody know what that was in the law of Moses? It was stoning. Now, the Messiah could not be stoned because the Old Testament talks about his hands will be pierced through. The only group that's got that form of capital punishment are the Romans. So therefore, the Jews are not in power, and their view of sovereignty is is capital punishment. So in 606 B.C., when Nebuchadnezzar comes into the land, I know you're all excited about history right now, so you're like, keep going with the history. When he comes into town, basically, there is no sovereignty. There is no Jewish nation as a nation. It's gone. It's gone because Nebuchadnezzar come in, the Babylonians, then the Medes and the Persians take over. Who takes over after the Medes and the Persians? Alexander the Great, he comes in. They don't have any sovereignty there. There are Jews there. Who comes in after Alexander the Great? The Romans. Come on, this is easy. It's first service. Second service, I don't know. So the Romans come in. Who comes in after the Romans? Well, after Romans are gone, remember, the state of Israel is in a, in a state of flux. It, 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 it goes between warring tribes, but ultimately in 700, a guy named Muhammad comes on the stage with a new satanic religion. And now Islam starts to grow in that whole area, and eventually Islam takes over. And then what happens? Well, we have the crusaders that come out of England and France, and it goes back and forth, back and forth. Then we have the Ottoman Empire, and they rule and reign till World War I. And now a a little thing came out, and they discovered it in the Middle East. It's very valuable to everybody else. Anybody know what it is? It's called oil. And now oil dominates the entire Middle East. And after World War I is known as the Balfour Declaration. Eventually that turns into the British Mandate, and then the the, the, uh, Britain holds on to what is called at the time 
Palestine. When the Romans destroyed, I forgot to say this in the, in the 70s, when the Romans destroyed Israel, they had so detested Israel for how many times they had to send troops to Israel. They said, that's it. We're wiping them out, and we're wiping out the name of Israel. And so they decided to call it, after 70 AD, Palestine. Okay. All that means is everybody who lived in Israel proper is a Palestinian. Do you know that if you look at some um, passports from World War I, World War II of Jews living in Israel, it says Palestine. They're Palestinians. There is no distinct group. Yasser Arafat's father kind of promoted the propaganda to the world that there is a people called the Palestinians. Palestinians are people who live in the land that the Romans called Palestine. Now, when the Jews in 48 take over, they rename it the state of Israel. Now, when you look at the things of the Lord, you often think to yourself, Lord, why would you allow this to happen or that to happen? Lord, why would you allow a guy named Hitler to, to gain power in Germany? I'm watching a new documentary about Hitler, and I don't know if you know a lot about Hitler, but he didn't even graduate. He, he, he tried to get into art school Three or four times he was rejected. Here is, and I don't mean to say this, but here is really a nobody, and he became the ruler of Germany. And it's kind of fascinating how he gained power. And then how he destroyed six million Jews. And you look at that and you go, well, Lord, why would you allow that to happen? And the Lord allowed that to happen so that the newly founded United Nations, the only thing they've ever done good, was to say these Jews who have been persecuted for so much, for so long, they deserve to go back into their homeland. And they gave them just this tiny little piece, this sliver of land. And it was surrounded by new countries that, were, that came to be at that. Do you know that there was nothing, there was no country called Jordan until World War II. When they were slicing it all up, they're like this. It used to be called Transjordan early on, and you always had Damascus and Syria, and then you had Lebanon. These new countries are being developed, and they're surrounding Israel. Syria gets most of the Golan Heights and what's east of the Jordan River, and then towards the south, the Jordanians get all the way into Jerusalem. So May 14, 1948, David Bergurian stands up and he declares that there is a Jewish nation. Look at your handy-dandy handout there as we look at some of these things. By the way, I encourage you to just look and explore all of the history of Israel from 1948 on because it's filled with not only mystery, but the hand of God everywhere. Guys, do you know that Hebrew was a dead language until the 1800s? There was no Hebrew. There was no Israel. And a lot of people wonder, when they look at the Bible and they go, well, why did these guys in the 1700s, the 1600s, 
the 1800s, why didn't they talk about the regathering of Israel? Because if you were alive during that time, there was no Israel. There was no people speaking Hebrew. It was a dead-gone language. And the Jews were all in Europe at this time. And starting in the 1800s, a little trickle of people are coming back to Israel. And the, the first Jewish uh, council trying to get people, and they, they said, you know what, we, we need to start teaching people Hebrew again. And one rabbi started to teach that language. And in May 14, 1948, when David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel, stood up and said, we are Israel, he also declared the official language of Israel is Hebrew. Every Jew in Israel speaks Hebrew. It was a dead language. They weren't allowed to speak it. Boy, I, I got so much on Israel in my head. Do you know why? Listen, you know how the world promotes that Jews are good with money and they're, they're good with jewelry and all? Guys, when they left Israel, they were no longer farmers. They had to come up with new careers in banking or in jewelry or in clothing. So when they go to Europe, and by the way, famous musicians, famous playwrights, I mean, you can just name it, right? And so when they go back to Israel, they don't know how to farm. They have to be taught how to be farmers on the kibbutz. And all of these things that have been promoted about the Jews because of this is who they are and they're good with money. No, they're good with money because God is blessing that nation. And that nation needs to come back. When they come back, they become farmers and they transform a desert into what is today the second largest exporter of fruits and vegetables. How about that for a little tiny nation that's only 50 miles wide by 200 miles long? Well, look at your handout. I said that like 10 minutes ago, didn't I? <laughs> Sorry. There is so much about Israel and its history. Against All Odds is a wonderful video series. I encourage everyone to watch. It's about all the, war, the war, wars of Israel. And I want you to note this first one, their war of independence, right? When we fought our independence, does anybody know how many great empires we were fighting? One. In World War I, we were fighting, just to make it simple, one, the German. World War II, we were fighting really two, Japan, Germany. Look at how many are always fighting against Israel. Look at the list. Listen, May 14, 1948, they declare independence. The next day, all of these countries attack Israel in one day, the next day. Now, this fulfills prophecy, by the way, in Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37, talks about how the bones come together and in one day a nation is reborn. Well, that's May 14, 1948. <laughs> by the way, this, is, this came from the IDF. So I did pull it off of Wikipedia, but it's, they were only... Uh, they only had what the IDF had put on here, which I loved. So it tells you uh, their battles, the nations that were fighting against them, who the president was, who was the general, uh, and the troops that were lost. Remember how many 
nations come against them on the next day. Listen, they don't have any weapons. They have three planes from Hungary that aren't even there, that they brokered a deal to go get them in Europe. There's a great movie about that, how these three Israeli, they don't even have an air force. Get these three planes, prop planes, back to Israel. They started with three. For the most part, they had pitchforks and shovels. Their guns were so old, they were from World War I. How do you win against that amount of nations coming against you? It's only God. And this is where we start to see God's prophetic calendar start and his clock ticking and ticking. So we've got the the War of Independence, you can see there. Note with me the Six-Day War in 67. Now this is important because I'm going to read this verse and come back to it. Jesus says in verse 24, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and they will be led away captive into all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Okay, well, what's the most important thing to Israel, to the Jewish people? Anybody? What's the most important thing? The Temple Mount, you get a mint. The Temple Mount, there is no temple but the Temple Mount is the most important thing to to the Jewish people, even today. Even though there's only uh, 10% of the population or what we would consider religious Jews, even the non-religious Jews feel like that is what holds them to the land, is the Temple Mount. So in the Six-Day War, by the way, you can see how many armies attack there. We've got Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Iraq. And they have weaponry. All of these nations have been funded by the Russians. They have all the the latest whatever weapons out of Russia. All of the MiGs, all of the surface-to-air missiles, because they have oil and they have sold that to Russia. And all of these brand-new arms. And so we've got little old Israel fighting against four professional armies. Um... I forget what it was, but I think at this time, was it Iraq or Egypt, was like the second or the third largest uh, military in the day going against this little group called the Jews. Now, in the Six-Day War, one of my favorite generals, but we'll see he did a big blunder. His name was Moshe Dayan. Remember the guy with the patch? If you don't know who he is, if you watch... Uh, some of the history movies on Israel, you'll see that he was a great fighter, Moshe Dayan. He was probably their best general. And so in in the Six-Day War, something happened. Actually, Pastor Joe Foch talks about this, that when he was a kid in 67, that he was in a supermarket, and there he was, over the loudspeaker, it says, and they were talking about the, the war that was going on, the in Israel, and it says they, the Jews have taken the Temple Mount or Jerusalem. And he said, I watched people. He goes, I didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> he goes, I'm just a kid. He goes, but I watched people fall down and start weeping. They were Jews because what's most important to them is what? The Temple Mount. Now, what happened there <laughs> is still to this day kind of a mystery and why it was allowed for him to make this decision. 
But they gave Moshe Dayan the ability to broker a deal then with the Jordanians at the time who had Jerusalem. And so he said, hey, we're going to give you guys East Jerusalem. We're going to keep West Jerusalem, and you can have the Temple Mount. It will, later on, Moshe Dayan says it this way. Whether it's right or wrong, I'm not going to debate it. He said, the reason why I gave them the Temple Mount is because we didn't want to fight another 10 million Muslims. He knew that as soon as the Israelis took over the Temple Mount, that the entire Muslim world would just launch a caliphate against Israel. And he said, you know what we need in Israel, which they always say, peace. We're tired of fighting. And as you're going to see, they have a long list of wars. He said, we're tired of fighting. So he gave the Temple Mount to them. Now, that is verse 24, because it's not the Gentiles still own that. If you look at the Yom Kippur War in 73, this is an important war because they are, they are caught off guard. The Jews and all their military forces are, uh, are brought in. They're going to have their holy time of Yom Kippur, the holiest day for them, right? They're going to celebrate. <laughs> Guys, when we fight wars, we are, when we're fighting Arabs and Muslims, we like take Ramadan off for them. We don't beat them up on Ramadan. That's their holy month. So the Jews are thinking, well, we'll just take it off. Everybody will respect that, but no one respects the Jews. And so an all-out battle, please note with me, <laughs> the force on the Yom Kippur War in 73. By the way, the way that they got the army uh, to ready status is one of my favorite stories of all time is that they took a bunch of jets. Remember, Israel has very little airspace at all. And to rally them, they took the jets and they put them on the deck, which means not very high off the ground. And they went supersonic several times across the country, which shook the entire nation. And they're like, oh, something's happening. And they rallied them. But this is an interesting story because Moshe Dayan is still around. He's still the commander. And he tells Golda Meir who is the prime minister of this time, he says, listen, we're losing and we're going to die. <laughs> now, that's not what you want to hear from your general, amen? You don't want to hear that. So he tells her, we need to pull out the doomsday device, which means we need to get our nukes ready and start firing them off. And she says, hold on just a, just a minute. She calls in the middle of the night. Anybody know what U.S. president? Nixon. Nixon answers the phone in the middle of the night. It is, it is go to my ear on the other line. And she says, we are going to die. We will be wiped out if you do not help us. And at that moment, Nixon had remembered what his mother had said to him when he was a child. See, this is the history that you don't hear in our nation. Nixon's mother told him when he was a child that he would someday, because she had a dream, help the Jewish nation and they would survive because of him. He held that his entire childhood, his adult life. Here he is in the middle of the night, 1973, Yom Kippur War. <laughs> Moshe Dayan calls him and says, help. He says, what do you need? She says, everything you have. Listen, from Kissinger, by the way, is on, on the scene. He is, he's Jewish, but he's anti-Jewish. 
I can't stand that in our country. The Jews who are against Israel. That's another topic. So all of his cabinet, all of his generals tell Nixon, don't help them. He says, I'm going to help them. I'm the president. If that's the last thing I do, I'm going to help the nation of Israel. So he instructs the military to fly airplanes nonstop, and I mean nonstop, from the U.S. to Tel Aviv. And those planes did not stop. They brought ammunition and rockets and whatever. <laughs> and they survived. Do you know why? Because you turn the page <laughs> and you got more wars. Do you see how simple I am? <laughs> And there are more wars, and there are wars in Lebanon, and there are continuing wars even today. Israel is a nation that all they want is peace, and this plays into Antichrist. Because Antichrist will come up and he'll say, I can give you peace finally from those Muslims. And he'll do it. And what I wanted to say in this section, and what Jesus tells us in, the, in this section is the history of the Jews from 606 B.C. all the way to May 14, 1948, in this section right here. Now, Matthew tells us something different in the tribulation period, but this was about us. Notice the Gentiles are fulfilled. So as soon as we are done, the time of the Gentiles, as soon as the last believer is saved, then the church is gone. We go home, marriage, supper, lamb, seven years, wonderful time. We'll now re-deal with the... Verse 25. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the mystery of Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. God will re-deal with his nation the apple of his eye. We are not the apple of here, the bride of Christ. Then talk about more end times, getting people ready, and what he is going to tell us for next time, Lord willing, is that people get ready. Because when you see the signs, big length of time, and seasons, it's kind of like our season, right? So we can see, we've seen the times happening from 70 AD. Now we're starting to see some. Now we're starting to see, let me just scan your forehead with this thermometer. No big deal. We are programming people to be ready for whatever, whatever Antichrist sells. Hey, you, you got to take this vaccine or you will not be able to buy or sell or to fly on an airplane to England. You will get a vaccine card, and if you don't have a vaccine card, well, that's all for the mark. If you don't have the mark of the beast, then you won't be able to buy or sell. Now, we're not here, amen. Don't you worry about no mark. I hear that all the time. I got to end with this. People are like, I can't get that credit card. It's got a chip. That's the mark of the beast. It's not. Do you know why? Because we're not here during that. We're not giving allegiance to Antichrist. Listen to this. Even if they came out with a mark right now for us at this time, it's still not the mark of the beast. I hear Christians flip out about stuff all the time. That's not what it is. It's an allegiance to Antichrist. And because we won't be here, you won't have to worry about getting it or not getting it or having some sin and going to hell. Amen? 
Like the good news today, and that was a lot of history, by the way, and this is, today's message is sponsored by the History Channel. <laughs> There's a lot today, but the good news is we're not here. This is about the Jews, not about us. This is about the Jews. And when we get to our portion in Revelation, in the seven letters to the seven churches, and then we get to chapter 4, which is the rapture of the church, and then chapter 5 on, that's the tribulation period. It's really simple for us. So let's have a balanced view of eschatology. Let's not focus on it and focus on Jesus Christ, not Antichrist. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day, and we thank you, Lord, for your Jewish nation, our brethren. We have been grafted in. Lord, we love them. We we pray for them. We pray for the peace and the safety of Israel and for Jerusalem, your chosen city. And so, Lord, thank you that we will be removed before all of this happens. Thank you, Lord, that you told us beforehand. See that I've told you beforehand. Do not be deceived. Thank you, Lord, again for our time together. And we thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.